KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. So one day the pandemic will be over, but a recent blog post by a pair of Drexel epidemiologists says the virus responsible for COVID-19 will likely stick around, becoming endemic, something we have to learn to live with. Wanted to talk more about this, so caught up with one of those epidemiologists, Dr. Neil Goldstein. He is an assistant research professor at Drexel University. Really interesting conversation. Give a listen. So to start kind of what do you think of where we are in the pandemic? Are you nervous? Are you cautiously optimistic? Uh, where do you think as far as the progress we've made? Cautiously optimistic. And I don't know you know, if, if part of this is just being in spring right now and it's beautiful outside when we're doing this, but we're, it means we're having clear evidence that vaccination is working and vaccination is working at a population level here even though we've had difficulties in rolling out vaccination in certain areas and to certain groups, overall, things are progressing how we would hope them to progress. In other words, mortality is down by a lot. Um, hospitalizations are down. Cases are plateauing or down in most places. So we're in a good position right now. You had a, a blog post recently with a colleague where you talk about kind of coronavirus isn't going to be going anywhere. There's not going to be a moment where the pandemic, where we all kind of throw our hats in the air, like the end of a war and say, you know, it's over, but that it will kind of shift at a certain point to be endemic. Yeah. And, you know, had we had this conversation, gosh, a year ago, I don't know that we would have this same viewpoint on it. For example, you know, if we go back to the original SARS um, outbreak that happened uh, early in the in the 2000s, that was a virus, a novel virus that essentially extinguished itself in the population, and, and that means that we don't have any kind of seasonally circulating the, the the coronavirus that caused that original SARS. But this time, what happened was, you know, either through characteristics of the virus itself or the the lack of ability for us to really contain it early on, we've had a virus that is propagated throughout the entire world. And as such, you know, just naturally with what a virus does, it evolves over time, it mutates. And, you know, it's probably a virus that's going to be here to stay. The good news, though, surrounding that is that we have a very robust public health system that knows exactly how to deal with ongoing uh, viral respiratory pathogens here. So, yes, I do think it's something that we will live with for, um, for the near future, absolutely, and, and probably for a long time to come. It's just kind of a seasonally circulating sickness that we have to deal with. Yeah, to that point, so it would be something that would we see a point down the road where we talk about flu season, where we would talk about COVID season? I think that is the, the perfect analogy for this, essentially, just like we have our flu vaccination campaigns that happen every fall and we have increased um, surveillance that happens as part of flu season with influenza-like illness. We're seeing the same thing with coronavirus, right? We see coronavirus-like illness. We see vaccination campaigns that will probably require a booster shot. Now, whether that's due to your immunity waning over time or, or, or it's due to just kind of um, what we call immune escape or as variants emerge that may require, you know, slightly tweaked vaccination, we'll probably see that happen on an annual basis, very much similar to the flu program. And in fact, that's, you know, that's because we have this flu program, that's why we can potentially roll the coronavirus program into that and really just have kind of a single seasonal 
viral respiratory, you know, shot and, and surveillance program that deals with both illnesses. We've talked a lot, you and I have talked a lot, and I think America at large has talked a lot and focused on the vaccines and obviously the, the excitement there. How much progress have we made in the therapy world? Because that was a focus early, but I think it kind of got swallowed up by the tidal wave of excitement about vaccines. So if we're talking about something that's going to be kind of hanging around, where are we on therapy and treatments and stuff like that? And I think a lot of what we're talking about right now, that is lower mortality, fewer hospitalizations, better outcomes, is because of the ability of the of healthcare providers to kind of figure out how to treat and manage this this illness. You know, very early on in the pandemic when it was brand new and and there was just a lot of uncertainty about is this going to work better? Is this going to work better? A lot of that just through the nature of how science progresses and how healthcare progresses. I'm going to use the word figured itself out, but that's not quite the, the way that I really want to put it. It's just we figured out what works with the evidence has has evolved. And so that puts the healthcare provider and healthcare system in a much, much better position today than it was six months ago, than it was a year ago. So I, I expect that to continue to evolve. And, you know, overall mortality will will go down and and hospitalizations and serious outcomes hopefully also will go down. What would the concern if it's something that pops up? We've heard so much about variants over the last six months or so. If it's hanging around, is there a concern of a variant that really becomes troublesome? Or would it not, because it wouldn't be widely circulating, is it not as concerning? Some of this is still to be determined, but I want to be clear about the, the variant part of this. I think that was something when the, when the when, when we were focusing on it in the news, it sounds super scary, right? This is a variant. We, you know, whatever our vaccine is going to look like. But we have to be clear, this is just the way that organisms evolve and adapt over time. There will always be mutations that happen anytime organisms reproduce at, at the scale that we're talking about here. The over, overwhelming majority of those mutations, though, result in a virus that's essentially no longer capable of infecting people. Every time, you know, every... Every, um, every rare instance, one of these um, mutations slips out that may, be, may, may give a little bit better uh, ability of this virus to, to reproduce or, or to, uh, to escape the immune system. And that's just a not natural consequence. So because we're dealing with the scales that we're dealing with the pandemic and worldwide outbreak, these variants happen. They're, they're expected to happen. They were known to, to, to happen. The vaccines that we're seeing so far, and this, now we're getting into kind of what we know and, and still what we need to figure out. The vaccines that we have right now seem to do a decent job. Now, that's depending on a few different, um, uh, few different things that, you know, depending if we want to go, go down that road, we can. But they seem to do an overall decent job with the majority of the variants that we've seen right now. The evidence is still evolving with that. And sure, it's possible that another variant could emerge in the population that requires a, a tweaked vaccine or some kind of um, a tweaked response to it. But what we're seeing right now is despite the variants, we still are optimistic about the ability of our vaccination program and our response in public health to kind of crush the, the majority of the pandemic and transform this into a kind of a seasonally circulating illness that we deal with. How much have we learned? And you mentioned SARS. Uh, how much have we learned from previous go-arounds with stuff like HIV, Zika, that 
and I'm not comparing the viruses themselves, but just how we kind of deal with something that's kind of always around. And I think those are appropriate diseases to compare this against because they kind of emerged at a population level at specific points in time. And we didn't really have much knowledge about them beforehand, whether it was the original SARS coronavirus, whether it was Zika, whether it was HIV. So those made a huge splash when we learned about them and generated a lot of fear, a lot of, unfortunately, stigma associated with with those infections. But also, these are things that we, as you said, that we, we live with now, right? And that we've figured out what the treatments, how to prevent them, what treatments uh, work, what treatments don't work, and how to um, essentially evolve our public health system to deal with them on an ongoing basis. So even though we still have Zika out there and we still have HIV out there, I, I, you know, I, I think that the, the state of the science and the state of public health and, and the state of clinical medicine has turned those conditions into very manageable conditions that we can deal with. And that's kind of where we're seeing the progression with SARS-CoV-2 here. We're seeing it progress into something that, that is manageable, that we, that we do know a little bit uh, something about, that we do have preventive measures in there. When you look forward, what is the, for your money, what's the biggest unknown? What's kind of the biggest wild card that's to be determined about the future of, of COVID-19? Oh boy, what a tough question to answer right now. Um, I think I really want to know more about the persistence of the immune response to this. And what I mean by that is when somebody gets infected, either naturally or somebody receives the vaccine and generates an immune response, how long does that immune response last for? Are we going to you know, if it lasts for a really, really long time, like many years, then that that implies a different type of prevention paradigm that's needed in public health versus something that does seasonally ebb. And we would need booster shots, just like we need with the flu shot every year. So I think that the nuance of the immune reaction to the coronavirus is where I am most curious right now. And in the big picture... With the vaccines and the approach that the vaccines take with the RNA, mRNA, I'm not smart enough if I'm getting that right, but we're kind of so focused on getting through COVID-19, but these are really kind of game-changing things we've introduced into the world of vaccines, and you know they, they could have an impact well beyond COVID, no? Oh, absolutely. These are unbelievable success stories in modern science, modern public health, and the potential for these vaccines, you're absolutely right. They could be adapted into a variety of of circumstances for, especially for pathogens that we've had limited success so far. So that, you know, that demonstrates what can happen when a lot of scientific bodies get together. And this includes academics, industry, government to pursue something that is urgently needed, but I don't want to say has near endless resources, but has a lot of resources, you know, because vaccinations are one of those pharmaceutical products that not a lot of places want to get into. It's like, you know, you provide it one time to somebody or maybe a few times, and that's kind of an, an individual's requirement for this. It doesn't have the cachet, I guess I'll say, of something that you take every day for the rest of your life, like a statin, you know. So vaccinations are just 
it's tough to get people, pharmaceutical companies to pursue that. I'm hopeful, though, with the success we've seen so far is that, yes, it will push other places or push these you know, companies like Pfizer or Moderna or, or, um, or Johnson Johnson to pursue additional vaccine, vaccines, especially because this platform, this mRNA vaccine platform, we call it, which hadn't been demonstrated at a population level before to, to be effective, it's, it's clear. The, the evidence behind that is clear. It works. And it's really a, 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 an outstanding accomplishment across uh, in many different disciplines. Yeah, and that was kind of my next question was I, I had heard before COVID-19, I remember watching something on television and there was a question about vaccines and the answer was, well, there's not a lot of interest with the drug companies and going that route. It's not a big money maker and it doesn't move the stock price and stuff. And that landed wrong with me, but I get it living in this country. Have we turned the corner to a point where with everyone having gone through this between that and the brilliance of the design of this vaccine that we could maybe see a golden age going forward here? Oh, like a second golden age of vaccination. Gosh, I would love to see that. Um, I don't know. Can, can we do this uh, a year from now? And you asked me the same question. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have a good response to that one. There, I mean, there definitely was the original golden age that happened, right, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s with the vaccine development that happened. And that took a lot of the common childhood diseases and made them something that, fortunately, we don't see a lot of these days. And now that we have um, a, a new vaccine platform, potentially interest from pharmaceutical companies and certainly from governments and maybe the public as well. How cool would that be, though, if, you know, a year from now we saw the emergence or, or just, just the proposals of some companies to, to be able to vaccinate for things like HIV, for the common cold, you know, for all these other, these other things that we've just had very, very limited success with. To wrap up, it's been an incredibly depressing year or so, a lot of loss, a lot of death, uh, a lot of mental strain, but could one of the things we look back on in the big picture that we have learned so much that could help us turn the corner in a lot of ways going forward out of this pandemic? Well, this is not our first pandemic. It's not going to be our last pandemic. And I feel like each one that we go through, we learn something different. Take the, take the, the last really big pandemic that we had was the flu pandemic of 1918-1919. And there was a lot of essentially like public health practice occurring that informed our response of, what, of things that work and, 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 and that doesn't work. But with the state of the science... Where we were at 100 years ago to today, you know, it's completely different. That's why we we're able to come up with a vaccine in an incredibly, you know, record amount of time. So I think there are a lot of opportunities to kind of revisit what has worked, what hasn't worked for this pandemic to inform things moving forward. And we, we saw this. We're going to see this continue because just the research outpouring and response and support worldwide to me has been, you know, we talked about vaccination been one of the remarkable successes of this, but also just the coming together of the scientific community is also another success that we, we can't look past. And I think based on all the research that's being conducted right now, all of the different permutations of various public health interventions and so forth, 
we're going to have a lot to digest, but I do think that we will learn a great deal from this pandemic, a lot more so than we've learned from any other one before. And that is that will help us in responding to the next one. Let's just hope, though, Matt, that that's 100 years from now and maybe something you and I won't have to deal with. I'm all for that. And just to going back to the, the original concept of our conversation, uh, the pandemic becoming endemic, when should people like me... When is the pandemic over? Is it literally when the World Health Organization says they declare it over? I mean, that that designation is more about um, uh, allocating resources than anything and ensuring that people are prepared for this. So even though that designation will end at a distinct period of time, a lot of it's just going to be a personal decision when people are comfortable to start assuming some of their normal activities again. My recommendation, though, is to look to their health department, look to the CDC, and get their guidance from that. You know, I don't want to counsel anybody individually because everybody internalizes risk a, a different way, but we're taking these baby steps in the right direction. There won't be any hard and fast date um, where people will, you know, the world will just go back to normal, as we say. It's just going to be an incremental sort of thing. Again, as we become more comfortable dealing with the risk of this virus, that's going to be with us for, for, for a while. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>